This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. The concern over the constitutionality of LGBT legislation may be getting ready to take a dramatic turn, and it would be, thanks in part, to some people in the corporate world. Last week, Bank of America, which is the largest employer in North Carolina, said it would band together with almost 125 other companies to seek a repeal of the recent legislation passed by the state of North Carolina. Companies that have been known for making states give them sweetheart tax deals now are starting to try and turn government around a bit as well. To take a look at this interesting case that is unfolding even as we speak, we're joined here in the studio by Wharton Professor Maurice Schweitzer. On the phone, we are joined by Penn Law Professor Tobias Barrington-Wolf, and also joining us on the phone, Tim Werner, who's Associate Professor of Business, Government, and Society at the University of Texas at Austin. Gentlemen, great to have you all with us. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Maurice, I'll start with you. This, this case has really unfolded before our eyes and has drawn unbelievable angst and anger by a lot of people right now. Not a surprise in any way, shape, or form. I think what is surprise is that how much we have seen shift over the last year or so, now the state of North Carolina is basically, in some respects, taking a step back. Yeah, there, there are a couple of interesting things here. One is this rise of CEO activism, and you saw this before with uh, Cook, Apple CEO, advocating for gay rights. Uh, you saw the CEO of uh, Starbucks take take issues related to, to race, and now you see corporations getting involved here in a way that's that's I think historically different. That is, we used to see this convergence between conservative social policies and pro business policies, and now we've really seen this divergence. And I think this conflict is super interesting, where corporations are getting more actively involved yeah. and they're getting actively involved not in as as you said not just to promote their own narrow economic interests but for social policy change tim yeah i would agree with that uh i think what this represents though to some degree is unique with the case of lgbt rights in the sense that you know a lot of these corporations were active in self-regulating in the sense of adopting their own uh, anti-discrimination policies throughout the 1990s and prior to the legalization of same-sex marriage, domestic partner benefits as well. So to some degree, this is turning outward and advocating for those policies that they adopted, in some cases, 20-plus years ago. Tobias? Uh, I think all of that is is right. The I mean, one of the distinctive features of LGBT discrimination to this day is that uh, in many, many states... LGBT people don't have explicit protection against discrimination under state law, certainly at the state level. And the status of protections against anti-gay and anti-transgender discrimination under federal law is an important, interesting, complicated one that we can talk about a bit. But, you know, part of what gave rise to this North Carolina law was an attempt by the city of Charlotte to provide protections to people locally that were not available under state law. And the fact that we are are still seeing an active debate uh, 
over the basic question of whether LGBT people should have protection in the workplace, in places of public accommodation, from just outright policies of discrimination, right? That That's a phase of, of the issue surrounding LGBT rights in the workplace and in the marketplace that's just different from the phase of that discussion that we're in relative to other kinds of discrimination like race and national origin and gender, where for the most part, uh, those protections have existed and have been accepted uh, in the workplace and in the marketplace for quite some time. But the interesting thing is the fact that, uh, that Tobias is that, as you mentioned, this started because of the changes that Charlotte wanted to make. But it, it has also basically brought up the fact that, that part of this is the fact that local governments really have no say in what they do, in this case, in their own communities. Yeah, this is a, a, a striking part of the North Carolina law. North Carolina is not the first state to take a step like this. Tennessee, for example, took a, a similar step last year. And in essence, what the state legislature has done in North Carolina is to say uh, that we are so committed to preventing LGBT people from getting protection from discrimination that we're going to restructure the entire way that state, local, and county government works in North Carolina around the issue of workplace discrimination laws and, and, in fact, around the issue of labor law more generally, just so that we can prevent more progressive cities like Charlotte from extending these protections. It's a really quite uh, radical, I think is not a misplaced word, uh, way of, of restructuring state government simply in order to deny these protections to LGBT people. Well, certainly, Tim, we know how much of an influence that corporations do have in, in states across the country. But it, as Marie said, it is interesting that we're almost taking this totally the other way, where the governments are trying to really have more of a say for their own consumers. They're trying to look out for the consumer's opinion, which is something realistically has not been a topic of conversation before I can think of, correct? Uh, when you say the consumer's opinion, I'm a, a bit confused. Well, I, I'm just saying that it, it seems like, you know, as I said at the top, that, that companies have looked out for themselves. They have looked to get the biggest, you know, the best sweetheart tax deal that they can. That's why companies move to North Carolina or move to Georgia or move to Pennsylvania. Now they are trying to say, listen, this is wrong. You need to you need to change this. And, you know, we, we've seen companies try to have influence on government in the past, mainly because they will give money to a politician. This is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Although there are historical analogs with the civil rights movement in the sense that a lot of the legislation that was enacted uh, during that era was in part due to economic pressure, um, whether it be at the mass level in terms of boycotts that then spurned corporations to act to endorse public policies, or whether it was just direct activism on the part of firms. So that's not entirely new. Okay. Um, the other thing to remember is that this is actually a fairly straightforward issue in terms of public opinion that companies are responding to. This isn't nearly as controversial as, say, same-sex marriage. Uh, there's been a majority in the public ever since polling started on the issue of workplace discrimination, so about the late 1970s, in favor of these sorts of laws. Uh, and I believe it's been over 80% support since uh, 1990. Yeah, yeah, this, this is Maurice. I just wanted to build on that idea. So, so what's really interesting here is that there's a, a divergence also between local and national politics here. Mm -hmm. So the local politics, you have, you have things 
and actually maybe it's, it should be more fine-grained. There's the city, state, and national level. But, but at the state level, there's this uh, push to be extremely conservative in passing this legislation. Maybe conservative is not quite right. But, but at the national level, there's overwhelming support of, of promoting the LGBT community. And, and you see companies that are caught here like Wells Fargo – so Wells Fargo took this very symbolic stand. They lit up their their Duke Energy Center, this this forty eight story building in pink, white, and blue, in support of the LGBT community. Lionsgate, all these other companies have come together and and promoted LGBT rights, and they're doing that in a way that is consonant with their brand, even though the the state community has a much more uh, sort of draconian view of LGBT rights, they're they're really sort of putting these these two things at odds. I think there's a branding question mm-hmm. here about about basically, and I, I think, think to your point before, that is there's something uh, I think they're, they're on safe ground promoting LGBT yeah. rights because of their national brand, and in fact that's the right thing for them to do, but it's at at odds with what's happening in the state. And a lot of these are com- uh, this is- go ahead. I'm sorry, this is Tobias. Let me just jump in and also mention one important political dynamic, which is uh, going back to something Tim said a moment ago, I think it's quite correct to say that there's been widespread support uh, when people are polled on the question of workplace discrimination laws, either that that really just focus on anti-gay discrimination or that sort of paint broadly the the issue of anti-LGBT discrimination. What we see in a lot of state legislatures, and this is very much what happened in North Carolina, is uh, hostile elected officials trying to use mistreatment of transgender people in particular, and the question of what facilities and bathrooms and locker rooms transgender people are going to use as a wedge issue, as a way of inflaming uh, people's passions uh, in uh, an often very misleading and and, uh, disingenuous debate. And then using that issue in order to implement regressive changes in the law across the board, right? So if you look at the debate that unfolded in North Carolina, it was this very uh, unfortunate and and not very enlightening debate about what bathrooms transgender people are supposed to use. And that was the public story that was created around this law, which then does very bad and, and, and nasty things to the transgender citizens of North Carolina, but also changes North Carolina law much more broadly across the board around the issue of anti-discrimination. You're, you're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're talking about what's going on in North Carolina with the changes that the state wants to make in terms of uh, uh, LGBT uh, protections. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. We're joined by Wharton Professor Marie Schweitzer, Penn Law Professor Tobias Barrington-Wolf, and Tim Werner, professor, assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin. A- at this point, uh, Tobias, uh, where this is going, what what are kind of the, the avenues that Governor McCrory has available to him right now? Because seemingly with so much blowback from so many companies— uh, you wonder how much how much power and influence these companies are going to have, and realistically, to possibly have the this this changed here in the next several months. 
Well, it's an interesting question. The governor uh, recently released a video uh, on his official YouTube channel in which he doubled down on this law. And uh, I think that the video can best be summed up uh, with the description, blah, 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 Constitution, blah, 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 states' rights, blah, 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 you're persecuting North Carolina. And uh, he is turning this into a a campaign issue. He's running for re-election. And uh, I think he has made a calculation, at least right now, that the the issue he's most concerned with, which I think is probably uh, getting re-elected, is one that will be served by doubling down on this law. Going forward, um, it would take either a court decision declaring this law in violation of of some combination of federal statutory law or the federal constitution, uh, or else it would take repealing the law uh, through another act of the legislature. And uh, the the latter seems unlikely. And the former, you know, some, some lawsuits have been filed right now. I think there are some very serious questions about at least some aspects of the legality of this provision under federal law. Uh, and we're going to have to see how that plays out. Tim? Yeah, I actually want to go back to something that was uh, mentioned earlier about yep. the wedge issue nature of this. Okay. Uh, in terms of thinking about the flip side of it, which is why is business taking the lead here in uh, protesting the law? And in part, it's because it, business is part of the traditional Republican coalition. And by having them take a lead, you drive a wedge within that. So this does have some implications electorally, but it's why it's so powerful for uh, individual CEOs and individual firms to be protesting this law, and in particular for Bank of America, given its constituency connections to North Carolina, uh, to take to have kind of the point position on this. Uh, so that poses particular dilemmas for Governor McCrory's re-election campaign, I believe. Maurice? Yeah, I mean, to me, what's really interesting is uh, I think this is a values issue. Yeah. So there, there's some voters yeah. that, that care deeply about certain values. And and I think that this plays to the sort of the base concerns about change in our society. The and, and I suspect that that those values concerned voters are not going to be as concerned about the potential economic repercussions. At the same time, I feel as if the these 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 corporations are enhancing their brands, certainly at the national level, by taking this stand. But this is really divisive, and I think we are at a turning point where we've begun to really decouple the the pro-business economic values from what were the very conservative social values. Mm-hmm. And we even see this at the national level, where you see leading Republican candidates talk about anti-trade legislation. So it used to be the Republican Party was the party of trade, you know, free, free trade, open markets. Uh, and we're seeing, we're seeing these, these sort of values and economic policies really decouple. And it is a wedge. And I think it's going to uh, really reshape our political landscape. But realistically, how much of, a, of an aspect, how much of a change can the businesses in North Carolina make here with you know, with the with the power or lack their power that they have, Maurice. No, I think I think politicians in North Carolina are making very calculated bets here. I think the there there are changes these companies can can make in North Carolina, but they're not going to be quick. Yeah, and and I don't think voters. I think the voters that are passionate about LGBT issues are not going to 
be as sensitive to the the economic prospects in the future. So I I do think these corporations have power, but it's not it's not as much political power at the local level. Tim? I would agree with that. I think that the prospects, uh, as Tobias was mentioning earlier, of the legislature repealing this law, certainly prior to this election, uh, are basically zero. Uh, and I think that, uh, going to Maurice's comment, the people who feel really inten- intensely about this at the local level in North Carolina are probably those that oppose it. Uh, which, if you're a Republican legislature running for re-election, then that's what you're going to cater to, because your constituency, whether it's in the primary election or in the general election, is going to uh, put more weight on this issue than on economic growth. Tobias? And I'll say, I think I think it's also the case that insofar as there is a, an emerging consensus, at least in the in public discussion around a principle of <clears throat> LGBT equality and fair treatment of LGBT people. And, and I think we are seeing that happening. And I think that both the marriage equality ruling and, 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 and the response of the public to the marriage equality ruling, which was largely an accepting one, is one measure of that emerging consensus. What we don't yet have is any kind of emerging consensus of what the tangible manifestations of that principle ought to look like. And so, you know, Tim mentioned that there's been widespread support for the idea of anti-discrimination legislation for a long time. But most people don't know that LGBT people don't already have workplace discrimination in most states and don't have explicit protections, although, uh, once again, the federal federal side is a complicated story. But there's not a statute that is dedicated to protecting LGBT people explicitly in the federal – in the workplace on the federal side. And – so one of the questions North Carolina prompts is, uh, you know, when a state takes this kind of targeted, hostile, discriminatory action towards its LGBT citizens, um, beyond the question of, of expressing disapproval, what kind of response could we expect? And what is our social consensus around what the response ought to look like? Right. And, you know, one, one could imagine that if a state uh, were to enact a, a law that said, uh, you know, discrimination based on race is perfectly acceptable under state law. Uh, you know, the, the reaction, I think, would be uh, sharp and would be, you know, highly energetic and, and people might start, businesses might start pulling out of a state or boycotting a state. And I don't think we're yet at the point where that kind of shared understanding of what the response ought to be to anti-LGBT policies is is so well uh, is so well developed. Well, certainly we're starting to see lots of little pieces. You know, people that that corporations that may have conferences coming up in North Carolina, sporting events. Sure. They're talking about those as possibly being pulled out. The NCAA has obviously made it well known uh, in the past uh, of their reaction to to these types of policies. Uh, you know, those will have an effect to some degree terms of the overall scope of this topic, they probably don't have much effect at all, Tim. I think that's right. I think in terms of, say, a legislative repeal of this law, the key factor would just be what we politely call generational replacement, which is right. the electorate changing. Um, that as you know, baby boomers retire and die off, and uh, as millennials continue to grow as a proportion of the population and the voting age uh, population in particular, uh, these sorts of policies will run up against a, a stronger 
resistance, I think, in the mass public along the lines that Tobias is suggesting would happen if a law with regard to race were passed like this. We're talking with uh, Maurice Schweitzer, uh, University of uh, Pennsylvania at Wharton uh, professor, Penn Law professor Tobias Barrington Wolf, Tim Werner from the University of Texas at Austin. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Tim, there's another interesting piece to this House Bill 2 law, which hasn't really been discussed uh, a lot. It's been mentioned in a couple of articles, and, and it deals with communities themselves, this is away from the LGBT question, but communities themselves actually, it, it deals with the minimum wage issue, which is, which is kind of an underlying story across the United States right now. It, it, it hasn't been talked a lot about, but I wanted to bring it up and, and, and get your opinion on just that piece to this as well. Uh well, what this is part of, I think, is a broader trend in states, and we've actually seen legislation along these lines here in Texas, uh, where the state legislature is typically dominated by one party, and you know you have local governments that are, say, more liberal than that state legislature, which I believe is the case in both North Carolina and Texas. So the local governments will want to be active in certain areas, and then the state government will step in with a preemption law. Yep. Um, so. In North Carolina, it's with regard to minimum wage and anti-discrimination. Here in Texas, it was with regard to fracking. Um, so you see it occurring where you've got this discordance between the politics of the state overall and local governments. And what's kind of ironic about it, right, is that it's typically the Republican Party, the party of local government, right, that praises government being as close to the people as possible that's stepping in with these preemption laws. I guess also part of this that also isn't being talked a lot about is, Maurice, the fact that for those people that do feel like they've been discriminated against, it takes away the ability to seek redress as well, which I find interesting that you're, again, you're taking something away from people that could be potentially discriminated against, which is kind of absolutely a 180 from what we've been trying to do as a country over the last few years. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a great deal of irony in all of this. So the irony of, uh, just as we we're discussing, the idea of, you know, who gets represented, yeah. hear about, you know, sort of individual rights. Uh, yeah, why would we be passing legislation that, that, that curtails people's uh, rights? It's, it, there is a great deal of irony. I, I think to me, I mean, some of the interesting trends here um, is, the, is the importance here of, of corporate activism. Yeah. And and how I think being an executive today in a corporation means that you have to not only mind the shop, but you also have to keep an ear out to politics. And I think I think we're seeing a, a greater sense of responsibility placed on on executives. Mm -hmm. And we're expecting executives to be leaders, not just of the corporation, but also to be social leaders as well. And to me, that's that's one of the interesting themes here, and and one of the implications for for executives and corporate leaders hmm. more broadly. Tobias, let me also let me mention a specific example of taking away rights from people uh, that has not gotten a lot of attention. There there is so much to talk about. The the North Carolina law really made a lot of changes. One of the things that North Carolina law, the HB2, does is it redefines sex discrimination for everybody yeah. in the state. Uh, what kind of discrimination based on sex is protected, for example, in the public marketplace? 
and also in the workplace under state law. And it says that, that when we say sex discrimination uh, under North Carolina law, we only mean, quote unquote, biological sex. And this is to distinguish from the, the concept of gender discrimination. Now, in theory, the point of doing that was to make sure that transgender people are not protected from discrimination under state law. Now, that's bad enough. But the idea of gender discrimination is one that protects everybody from, for example, being told as a woman in the workplace that you're not being promoted because you're not feminine enough or you're too hard charging in the workplace and people don't like to see that kind of behavior from a woman right. or being told as a man that you're being shut out of a business, for example, because you have a slight frame and you have a soft voice and people just don't think you're enough of a man to, to you know, shop in a given in a given store. And uh, people will still have protection from that kind of discrimination under federal law. But state law often reaches places that federal law does not. And as a practical matter, if you're a person who's been subjected to discrimination, it's often just easier to uh, seek protection under state law because the resources are more accessible, because uh, the, you can bring a lawsuit in a more local, uh, you know, closer to home than would be the case in a federal, uh, a federal lawsuit. And so in the process of taking these protections away from LGBT people, North Carolina has also made all its citizens more vulnerable to gender stereotyping in the workplace and in the public marketplace. And it's just, you know, an extraordinary fact that they would do this. And, and uh, when we see the first couple of lawsuits, as I'm sure we will, where non-transgender men and women are subjected to discrimination and suddenly discover that they don't have any protection under state law, then that may also help to shift the conversation. Tim? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, one thing that is playing out right now in the federal courts is that the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 2012, I believe, tried to uh, incorporate sexual orientation under sex discrimination uh, under Title VII, I believe, of the, the Civil Rights Act. And in 2015, they've tried to do that with uh, with regard to sexual identity. Uh, but that has unclear whether or not they'll succeed in that. So it really does stress the need for addressing this either legislatively through the Congress or uh, at the state level. Gentlemen, great to have you all on the show. I have to end the discussion there. Thank you again for giving us your time. Tim, Tobias, great to have you on the phone with us. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.